This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Always delighted to be joined by our next guest, of course, from our friend CBS News Colorado, Justin Adams. Justin Adams TV on Twitter, uh, former University of Colorado Buff, Vermont uh, Bell High School. And Justin, uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, I, I think because like me, you, you're a, a completely local product and, and growing up watching the Nuggets, I, I was sort of struck by how I think I had sort of resigned myself to the presumption that the Denver Nuggets, for various reasons, would never uh, win an NBA title right up until, quite frankly, Miami beat Boston in the Eastern Conference Finals. And then I realized this is actually going to happen. But even when it did, and even in the five games that both Sandy and I predicted, I, it still felt a, a little bit surprising. And so here we are after you know a, a whirlwind in which they clinch uh, this week. They have the parade yesterday. You were at both. Just kind of wanted to know your thoughts from that perspective as well. I still don't believe the Nuggets actually won the championship. I'm looking around. I see the championship hat. I was in the middle of the parade. Um, I was at game five. Um, and I still don't believe this team has won. It, it should always be, or at least that's what we've been taught, right? Either it's the team from Texas, it's the Lakers. Um, I would even pick the Knicks to win before the Nuggets, right, will win a championship. Um, it's just unbelievable to see how this team came together was able to go and win the championship and they didn't just do it by like squeaking by and you know having to win a game seven and how to win a couple of close games to get through they dominated went 16 and four um and just the way that they played especially in that lakers series where you swept the lakers the way that they were able to come together and they won every way right if they needed a to win by scoring 130 points, they were able to do that. If they had to go and you know score 90 points or 100 points and play strong defense, they were able to do that too. I was extremely, extremely impressed with this team. And other than the 1997 uh, Denver Broncos, this was to me the most important championship in Denver sports history. Totally agree. It totally was the agree. one that no one, and I mean no one, thought would happen. You can think about the Colorado Rockies winning one, and I know that they're terrible. But I will believe the Rockies win in a championship first before the Denver. Well, I, I would have said certainly five years ago, Justin, when the Rockies had been to the playoffs for two years in a row, and they hadn't gone very far. We get that. Uh, they'd lost the, uh, the wild card game in 17, and then uh, they had a playoff game for first place with the Dodgers, won that. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, lost that, won against the Cubs in the wild card game, and then proceeded to lose three straight to the Milwaukee Brewers and haven't been heard from since. But five years ago, if you were to ask me who is going to win a championship next, uh, I probably would have said Avalanche, Broncos, Rockies, Nuggets. Maybe even moving the Rockies into the second position because they had been in playoffs back-to-back years, and we all know uh, 2017 through 2023 to date, the only team that hasn't made the playoffs during that particular stretch is the Broncos. The Rockies have made it twice. Avalanche have made it, of course, now virtually every year, and the Nuggets virtually every year make the playoffs. But taking that next step, sometimes things have to break right. And this year it seemed like there was a little bit of luck of the draw, a little bit, uh, very good luck, which they deserve to have with injuries because they had had such bad luck with injuries. And to cap it off, you mentioned this. In the fifth game, 
that decided the NBA title in Denver's favor, the Nuggets played the least efficient offensive game that not only they had played in the playoffs, but any team played in the playoffs. 94 points on 96 possessions was the worst offensive game that any team had at any point throughout the NBA playoffs, and they won the game by five points. Yeah. That's how good they were. Sandy, it was one of those things where looking at the game, I'm seeing Bam out of bio right at the rim where he's doing a hook shot. And from my vantage point, you know, being at the game, it's like, oh, okay, he's right at the, you know, the rim. This should be an easy one he makes. And he goes and throws the ball at the other side of the backboard, not the rim, the backboard. It was one of those where you looked in the fourth quarter, you were like, wait a minute, these guys are not just missing shots by a little bit. They're missing shots by a lot. And the defensive intensity from the Nuggets really picked up. And, you know, I know Michael Malone, that's one thing where he'll look back at the film, he'll just smile from ear to ear that the defense just really picked up something that he always harps on, which was huge for this team. But also the clutch shots were made. I I would always remember Bruce Brown coming from the weak side off a Jamal Murray miss with two minutes to go in a game down by one, able to snatch the ball out of the air, get the rebound, and get a putback, put the Nuggets up 90-89. to It is plays like that which are the reason why they had the parade, they had the rally, and probably why Bruce Brown right now is having a really massive headache because of Nikola Jokic. Whatever he had last night (laughs) in Vegas, (laughs) that's the reason why. But uh, it was just one of those times where you look at a team and it doesn't matter who you are or even how much you like sports, it was something that you could just rally around because – there was somebody for every type of fan that you could root for um, with this team, and it was really cool to be able to see. I want to follow up on that because it's such a wonderful observation. You, you pointed out that the key offensive play, because the Nuggets were behind with a minute and a half to go. Mm-hmm. Even I had to go back and be sure of that because I didn't believe it when I heard it. I knew it was back and forth, a little bit of seesaw at the end, but I didn't realize they were actually behind with a minute and a half to go. And that's the basket that put them ahead 90-89. And, of course, they go on to win 94-89. They're never behind after that. But you mentioned that offensive play. The defensive play, uh, at least the steal itself, that I thought was the big defensive play of the game, a turnover by Jimmy Butler, mm-hmm. the ball was stolen by Contavious Caldwell-Pope. So, again, when you're talking about a big play on offense, big play on defense, you have – no Jokic, no Murray, no Porter, no Gordon. You have Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who's the only starter, making a defensive play, and Bruce Brown, the sixth man, and probably as good a sixth man as there was this year, regular season plus playoffs in the league. Your fifth and sixth best players made the big plays <laughs> to, to yeah. give them their first professional title. Yeah. Sandy, that's why you win games, right? I mean, we even think about, like, all the different championship teams here. You know, I even think with the Broncos in 97 and 98, like, obviously, you know, Terrell Davis, John Elway, but here's Darian Gordon making plays. You have Super Bowl 33, and Darian Gordon has interceptions in the third quarter where there's a huge lull in that game, but Atlanta does have a chance to come back in that one. Um, You think about a guy like Rod Smith in Super Bowl 32 doesn't catch a pass, but he will tell you that's one of the best games he played he because of the like way he was bo- he was blocking, yeah. yeah. And so you think about what is it about this Nuggets team? It's about that same grit that helped the Broncos win those championships, helped the Avalanche win those championships with great third and fourth lines. It's those type of guys that helped the Nuggets be able to win um, you know, on Monday. And, and when you look back at championship teams, 
Of course, you need those stars. You need those superstars in place. But you better have those reserves who are better than the other team's reserves if you're going to win a title. And you play 2020s NBA basketball, but in Game 5 you played 1990s <laughs> NBA <laughs> basketball, which was not nearly as aesthetically pleasing, I understand. I didn't like it that much, but that Game 5 was right out of the 1990s. You're right. Oh, yeah. Well, let me ask you this, guys. Have you ever seen an atmosphere like that at Ball Arena before? I don't think I've ever seen anything like it because, you know, I even go down to the last four free throws that were made. I've never heard a place so quiet and then explode so much for, for a made free throw. Like once KCP came down and he hit his first free throw, everybody was silent. And then it just exploded. Then it got silent again. And then it exploded again. It was just one of those, it was one of those moments that you look back and say, they did it for the first time, and they did it at home. And honestly, you would never again see a team win their first championship at home again. It is one of those moments that you just have to sit back and just really relish in and take in. It was really cool to see. I mean, the, the Rockies owners would disagree, but at least at this point, it doesn't sound like it's happening anytime soon. We're talking to Justin Adams of CBS News Colorado, and you're right. I, I think the comparison, even though uh, you know the Avalanche have won three of these things, uh, they they popped into town and immediately won a championship while fans were still trying to figure out what was this team, uh, still trying to catch up on being a hockey fan. And so to a certain extent, it, it was hard to appreciate in the same manner because this fully formed juggernaut just dropped out of the sky into the Mile High City. And, and in this case, it was quite the opposite. This has been a, a long time in coming for this team. And, and the point you made earlier, I, I think that's really important. There's not lines, but the depth. And so when the Denver Nuggets at times were having challenges, whether it was uh, shooting threes or whatever, there was always somebody else who had an opportunity to score. Uh, we know that today's defenses have a difficult time in managing all that space between the three-point line and the basket. And it, and it favors offense in most every capacity. But the Nuggets, when they hit 10 or more threes in this playoff run, went 5-1. and one. When the Nuggets were below 30% shooting threes, they went 4-0, and and the reason that happened is because there was always somebody else who could find a way to step up, whether it was Bruce Brown in one game or Christian Brown in another game or Aaron Gordon in one of these games or even in the early parts of Game 5, Michael Porter Jr. to keep him from spinning out of control. There's always somebody. You look at Jokic and Murray, and certainly they do deserve the credit that they're getting, but at the same time, it seemed like there was always somebody on this team who could step up at the right time, and that, more than just about anything else, was the one thing that, even given Jokic's dominance, none of the other teams were able to match. When you're talking about the star-laden teams uh, of the Suns, whether you're talking about the Lakers, uh, even when you're talking on the other side, quite frankly, Miami did much the same to uh, Boston. Uh, Struess would have a game. Vincent would have a game. Caleb Martin would have a game. Uh, the stars, the idea now that you were going to have two guys that are big stars and maybe a third guy, and they'll score all the points, and the other ones will chip in, that's okay. Uh, these last few years, whether it's Milwaukee, whether it's even Miami coming as close as they have in the last two seasons, or the Nuggets seem to be doing what Adam Silver wants the NBA to look like, mm -hmm. and that is at more depth paying off instead of making these top-heavy teams. And this year, at least, the top-heavy teams, every single one of them, flamed out. Yeah, Sean, uh, raise your hand if you thought that DeAndre Jordan would have some big minutes at Game 5. Like, raise your hand if you I thought, thought he was that he pretty good. Yeah. 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 He was pretty I mean, good, he had actually. a block. I, I was shocked yeah. when he had a block, and I'm like, wait a minute, like, 
he shouldn't be playing, but because of, like you said, you have to have the depth because Aaron Gordon gets in foul trouble. Jokic got in foul trouble. Jeff Green got in foul trouble. Now you're Michael Malone. You're looking back at the end of the bench, and you're like, hey, DeAndre, give us a couple of good minutes, and he did exactly that. That shows the depth of this team. And, again, you talk about, like, with Michael Porter Jr., his three ball wasn't falling. I, I don't know why. He doesn't know why. I'm looking at him in warm-ups, and the ball doesn't hit the rim. It hits nothing but net. Gets it to the game, and he can't hit anything. He did hit one three yep. um, when the game was set up at 66 apiece and right. made that 69-66. But it was him getting off the three-point line, having a couple of floaters, a couple of layups. He even had an assist to Jeff Green that really mm. helped his game yeah. be able to go. Mm. And without his contributions, they're not winning that well, game. It, yeah, and, and again, you're looking at defense. And uh, I, I must say, I've made this observation a couple of times this week. Uh, you were there Monday night. Uh, you watch game four with uh, uh, great interest, I'm sure, and mm-hmm. uh, a real sensitivity to uh, what's going on at both ends of the floor. In my opinion, uh, Jamal Murray was better on defense than he was on offense in game five. And yep. I thought over the last two games, Nikola Jokic was better on defense in the two games than he was on offense in the two games. That's how good he was on defense, particularly in game four when he had uh, seven deflections with his hands and four with his feet, which, of course, is a violation, but it still disrupts the offense. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's the main thing is you, you, you don't want Miami to get comfortable in their offense because they could just swing the ball around, find the open man, and shoot threes, which is the way that they beat Boston, Milwaukee, and the Knicks. You want to make them have to go and restart their action over and over again, and when you have to restart your action, now it's later in the shot clock, and now you have to go and force up a shot that you really didn't want. You couldn't find the open man. So those are important things to be able to do. Just overall, guys, I was just so impressed with this team. And I'm trying to think of where this championship ranks again. I will go and say it's secondly, right behind the uh, the Broncos in 97. Yeah, I agree with that. Feeling-wise. We agree um, with you on that one. From a dominant standpoint, um, I would argue that it's behind the 98 Broncos. Just from a pure dominant standpoint. Well, that was expected, though. That was expected, 98 yeah. was expected. Yeah. 97, not really. Uh, yeah. 98 was expected. Uh, the Avalanche, the first year, people were still, as, as Sean said, trying to figure out exactly who they were. Uh, uh, the Ray Bork Cup in 01 was dramatic, but mm-hmm. it, it wasn't the first time either. And uh, the third one last year was great, but. Uh, again, we had experienced that before, and I think every Broncos Super Bowl win uh, after the first Super Bowl win, uh, I, I'm not saying 98 was anticlimactic, and certainly 2015 wasn't, but again, it had been experienced before, and the Broncos are only about seven years older than the Nuggets are anyway. Right, right, right. You know, it's funny because <laughs> this, is, this is what shows me the greatness, really, of the Nuggets. Guys, minicamp has happened. Minicamp, minicamp has come and gone for the Broncos, and nobody has talked about it. Like, nobody has looked and said, oh, I wonder how Sean Payton's doing down at UC Health Training Center or whatever they call that place now, right? Um, nobody, it's not that nobody cares. It's just that the sports calendar has changed now. If you're working in sports in Denver now, it used to be you got to April if the abs weren't really into it. You could just go and set up all your vacations. It's now you have to wait until late June now, and then you get a month off. And, oh, by the way, come July 28th, here comes training camp with the Broncos. Like, the whole sports calendar has now changed. And at least for the next five years with these Nuggets, 
the expectation is they at least get to the Western Conference Finals every year, if not the NBA Finals once again. Uh, that that's a pretty strong statement, but the truth is, for the next few years, it's likely to be true. I mean, the expectations on the Nuggets are very high. Well, uh, since you brought it up, I mean, we might as well talk about minicamp. It did wrap <laughs> up. Uh, Sean Payton, I think today, uh, or I should say earlier this week, kind of gave the game away, and I mean that in the best possible way because I think Broncos fans last year, Russell Wilson's here. Up. Oh, Back to the Super Bowl. Up, oh, Sean Payton's here. All right, back to the Super Bowl. Sean Payton himself, uh, with Greg Penner, basically crafted a, a metaphor about climbing Mount Everest and pointing out that it takes months to summit and only a couple days to come back down and talked about the Broncos being at base camp and needing to acclimate. Payton seems to be signaling, at least to the fan base, this rebuild is closer to the beginning than it is to the end. Am I missing something? No, you're not, um, because we all saw how bad this team was last year. Um, I understand the coaching wasn't what it was, but guys, when you look up and you say, let's go like this. If you say the top 100 players in the NFL, who would you say the Broncos have? I looked up a story on CBS Sports. Simmons and Sertan, only, that's it. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Those so, are only, so, so how are you going to tell me that you or convince me that you are a championship team ready to win a title where you have one guy in the top 100? As, as Deion Sanders would say, I got time today, right? Like, you can't convince me that this team is ready for that moment. No, they're it's not. It's going to take every, every person on this roster, finding the right guys on this roster, right, and then putting them in the right position, getting Russell Wilson back to uh, what he used to be or whatever else he has left um, in his throwing arm and in his body in order for this team to be successful. I hope Bronco fans are ready to see a completely different team and that could be a good or a bad thing. It won't be a defensive-laden team that's able to go and get after the quarterback on third down. We saw that last year with the only 34 sacks that they had, which was middle in the NFL. This will be a team that has to grind out some wins, that will have to go and rely on the running game, that will have to rely on Russell Wilson actually putting up a couple of points out there on the field. That needs Jerry Judy to be able to step up full, full season and not just the last six games of the year. That we need Cortland Sutton to be something like himself before the uh, he tore his ACL. You have to have Tim Patrick be able to go and get back to his full health in order to do something. Greg Dulcich, great to see you back. I hope your hamstrings are well because you will be needed in this offense. Uh, Javante Williams, the rest of the crew, you can continue to go down the line with this roster. If they are going to be successful, they have to figure out a way how to beat Kansas City. I don't care if it's in Kansas City or if it's in Denver. you got to win one of those games. You have to at least be 3-3 three and three in your division. And hopefully you can get either the sixth or seventh spot in the wild card and they see what happens from there. That's that's a great season for these Denver Broncos right here, especially in Sean Payton's first season. I know that these drafts are five years ago, six years ago, and seven years ago, respectively, but they still have an impact on this team. The Broncos selected 26 players in those three drafts. The ones who remain are as follows. 2016, Justin Simmons. 2017, Garrett Bowles. 2018, Cortland Sutton and Josie Jewell. That's it. That's the list of players available for those uh, three drafts. And that's why uh, the Broncos are in the beginning stages of a rebuild. And uh, the return of Vance Joseph, I've been reading some uh, profiles recently. And again, with Vance Joseph, he's one of the nicest people I've ever encountered uh, in sports. Liked him when he was here as a head coach on a personal basis. Uh, he did not have success, as he acknowledged this week, 11-21. and 21. Uh, Therefore, he says no resentment over getting fired after the 2018 season. 
and it's been pointed out that the starting quarterbacks during his tenure were Simeon Lynch, Osweiler, and Keenum, and they collectively ranked 28th in the NFL in expected points added per dropback during those two seasons, according to True Media. Uh, I'm not sure the Broncos were as high as 28th last year with Russell Wilson in that particular metric, but uh, I digress. Uh, the other aspect, which I think is overstated, although it is true statistically, since 2016, the Broncos ranked fifth in the NFL in defensive expected points added per play. They were sixth in that category across Joseph's two seasons as head coach, and they were seventh last year under former defensive coordinator Ichiro Evero. But to me, pass rush, pass rush, pass rush. Yeah. That's the name of the game in NFL defenses in the 2020s, uh, getting to the passer and therefore forcing turnovers, not stopping people necessarily. And I understand the Broncos have certain statistical measures uh, that, at least by comparison with their offensive numbers, are impressive. But I, I have my doubts, and I, I don't mean to be uh, snide in saying this, but to me the best defensive coach on the Broncos staff is Christian Parker, not Vance Joseph. <laughs> That's a good point right there. Well, you know what? I, I would say this, that uh, the, the one thing I will give with Vance Joseph is that I go back to that Monday night game, pretty much the coming out party for Patrick Mahomes on a national level. And it took Patrick Mahomes having to run to his left, throw the ball with his left hand, find Tyreek Hill somehow, with with Chris Harris Jr. right behind him, somehow to get a, a first down on that third and, what, five or something like that, in order for him to become the guy that he is today. Um, the reality with the Broncos is this, is that we look at the talent that they've had in the past with the Vaughn Millers, the Bradley Chubbs, those pass rushers, and I will not make the argument at all that they have those same type of guys on the team right now, but you got to find a way how to generate that same type of pressure, that same type of impact, that those guys have, and that will be the challenge. You look at this Mount Everest type of model that the Broncos are going with right now, well, it goes with this. You've got to figure out a way how to go and generate not only the pressure but generate the turnovers too. That will, that's what's really going to separate this team this year. If they could go and give the Broncos the ball around the 40-yard line, the 50-yard line, and not have to go the full 80 yards in order to go and get a score – it's going to pay dividends to this team that is truly lacking some talent, especially when you look at the top 100 in the NFL. He is Justin Adams. Follow him on Twitter at Justin Adams TV. Of course, CBS News Colorado. Make sure you check out everything you're putting together there. And uh, from that very particular perspective of a native and a local, appreciate it, Justin. Uh, it is, I guess, uh, if, is, it, is, is it officially football season? Or are we just going to call it nugget season for a little bit longer because it's fun? Um, 83 days before the Kansas City Chiefs kick off against the Detroit Lions. Okay. Um, it, it's, it's Not that you're counting. <laughs> <laughs> That'll work. I, I think we can live with that. Um, I'm just saying. <laughs> have a good weekend, my I'm friend. <laughs> and a happy Father's Day to you and yours. Take care. Thank you. You as well, Sean. Be blessed, guys. All right. Thanks. Justin Adams joining us. Uh, always good to talk to Justin about it. And, you know, we, we, we talked a little bit about that pass rush, Sandy. Let's dig into that a bit because, uh, as, as we talked about before, potential gets you fired. The Broncos may be counting a little bit more on potential than they have been on production. I'll explain next on My Life Sports.
Now more with Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. This is Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports. So much for poor uh, Wyndham Clark, Colorado Zone. Uh, we said it, it, it would go well at least. Uh, he was going to start with Ricky Fowler and uh, Xander yeah. Shopley. Both put 62s right. up yesterday, tying the U.S. Open record. Now, what uh, did Clark finish with today? He finished with a 67, so he's nine under. So after he's nine two under, so he had the rounds. lead until Ricky Fowler played started. the first three holes, and now he's way behind. Yeah, Fowler uh, started the round going birdie, birdie, birdie. That's uh, that's a good so start. He's uh, if he pars in, that'll be a 67 on top of a 62, and we suspect strongly that he will do better than 67, considering he's buried the first three holes today or his first three holes, and. Again, we were talking during the break. I've heard complaints for years when U.S. Open courses are tricked up, and I sympathize a little bit, a tiny bit with that. But as Brooks Kepka said the other day about Shinnecock Hills, and he won a U.S. Open there, he said, for all the people who complained about it, I just checked them off the list. That was Nicholas's attitude, too. When he got to U.S. Opens, He'd check off all the guys who complained about the conditions. He'd say, I don't have to worry about him, 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 him. He'd read the papers. He'd see the quotes. He'd check guys off the list. I don't have to worry about any of these guys. Brooks Kepka did the same thing. And he took a shot at Phil Mickelson directly. Uh, Mickelson, who basically walked off the course in disgust after a putt rolled off the green and he smashed the ball away and basically disqualified himself. But the, the point is, that Kepka said, well, yeah, uh, Shinnecock Hills was rough, but if you kept the ball below the hole the way you're supposed to in most any U.S. Open, there weren't any problems. You could putt uphill. <laughs> putt wouldn't roll off the green. Right. Now, if you're putting downhill, if you're above the hole and you're putting downhill all day, yeah, some of your putts are going to roll off the green no matter how softly you hit them. And here... I mean, uh, speaking of Brooks Kepka, he was at least at one point today over par for the tournament. I don't know where he's finished. I, pretty Kepka, far down. Kepka to, uh, today, well, Kepka today put up a 69, so he's uh, one under so on he's the tournament. one under? Yep. 71-69, first two rounds. Okay. Puts him tied for 38th with a whole right. so bunch he'll of make the, he'll, he'll make the cut. But he played so badly the first six holes yesterday He's out of the golf tournament. He, he, he was three over through six holes. He's, he's he was out. out of the golf tournament, and now he's 10 he's strokes 10 behind. behind. And that's that's for now. It, he'll be somewhere between 10 and 15 strokes back by the end of the proceedings uh, today. It's, just, it's, it's too easy. It's too easy. And I understand the romance, but it's too easy a golf course, especially the front nine. The back nine, uh, you know, it's it's – a par 70. Right. And so both nines are 35 par nines. Mm-hmm. The average score yesterday was well under par on the front nine and about as much over par on the back. So it did sort of kind of average out. But the difference between the front nine and the back nine on average is about two strokes. That should never happen. So if you're playing a front nine, to start, if you aren't four or five under par on the front nine, you're dropping out of contention. 
Well, there's there's a reason that the only course this is the first major ever that otherwise the largest tournament this course is and this course has been around since 1911 in its current uh, status. But the only and Tigers U.S. Open record is going to be smashed. The only the, somebody's the going to shoot twenty to twenty-five. I mean, the local Los Angeles Open was part of it, but the biggest tournament that's ever been held there was the U.S. Women's Amateur in 1930. So interesting, right. and interesting it probably choice. was a tough course in 1930. In 2023, Marion and Cherry Hills are much harder than the L.A. Country Club, although they're about the same length. All three courses, and they basically decided Cherry Hills. They can't play U.S. Open here. It's too short. Marion, once in a blue moon, they'll play it there. That's too short, and there's no way they can lengthen it. There's no way they can lengthen Cherry Hills. And any old course, it, it, it was built at a different time, and it wasn't built to be lengthened because it was long for its time. They can't lengthen this course. They, they can't grow the rough any higher than they've already grown it, but the fairways are like 43 yards wide on average. It's a joke. I can hit those fairways. I, I mean, and I can't play a lick. Well, I, I've never heard of a U.S. Open that was played under these conditions and as easy it is, it, it, it is. And I think it's going to take some of the luster away, not from Ricky Fowler in particular. He's never won a major. If he wins this one, he'll be better than everybody else. And I know for a while the announcers were saying when the two guys were eight under yesterday, there was a time where nobody else was better than three under. And still the afternoon guys started playing. And then there were about 10 guys who were better than three under, but not quite at eight under. I was surprised that Fowler's already 34 years old. I mean, it seems like he was always on the cusp for so long and now 34. Well, I hope maybe, he wins. He's, he's, a, he's a great guy. I hope he wins. I'd be rooting for him. Well, we're looking back at the at the Denver Broncos. We had a chance to talk, to talk about a little bit about the Justin Adams. And let's go to that pass rush here. Because now that now that the, uh, the minicamp wraps up, the offseason – Activities are done. Next thing is training camp. That's That's it. it. We're done. Exactly right. So now it's training camp. Now, if you look at the Broncos as it stands today, and let's just kind of project, and by the way, the Broncos, when it comes to Frank Clark, uh, no no surprise to my mind, but there was sort of the news that uh, when you looked at it, they signed linebacker Frank Clark. Frank Clark doesn't play linebacker, really. He plays the hand down. The Denver Broncos have enlisted as a defensive end, which is exactly you know not a surprise where he's going to play. But let's let's take a look at that. Now, I, I think you can make the argument, if you look at on paper, Frank Clark, Zach Allen, and DJ Jones, that the, the base of that 3-4 uh, alignment mm. is probably one of the better ones they've had in the last couple of years across the board. But DJ Jones is not a guy that gets sacks. In fact, I think three is his career high. I don't have it in front of me, but I think it's three. Um, Frank Clark has had two double-digit sack seasons, but none since but he not went, recently. None since he even went to Kansas City. Right. Uh, it was last year in Seattle was the last time that was the case. That was 2018. And Zach Allen, as promising as he is, he might, might be surprised to know that his career high in sacks is five and a half. Randy Gregory hasn't been able to stay healthy enough to ever get past now, six. We, we, we disagree on this, but I think the guy, the Broncos, basically let go Draymond Jones to make room for Allen is at least as a pass rusher superior to Allen. I think he's more gifted. Now, has he realized his potential yet? No. But even today, if he had, if Draymond had five sacks in a year, you'd say it was a bad year at this point. Yes. Oh, yes. It was a bad year. Absolutely. If this guy gets five sacks, you're saying that's about as good as he can do. Uh, 
I'm, I'm so, just so talking now, about pass rushing. And I know right. there's more to defensive line right. play than just rushing. And the, and the truth is that pressures even matter more than sacks. I, I think we understand that in today's, uh, hopefully today's fans are a little more savvy and they understand that. But you look at the pressure on the outside. Randy Gregory's health is always a concern at this point. In his well, he's career, never played more than 12 games. There's no reason to and believe he he's going to stay playing healthy. 12 last year. Uh, Brown Browning will start the year on the pup list. So now, uh, presumably, that's that's Nick Benito. Nick Benito, of course, had one and a half sacks in his rookie year. But, I mean, think of what we're looking at here. Now, I, I wasn't that impressed with Nick Benito last year. And I know he did a little better holding up against the run and Again, that's not why he's out there. Right. He was better against the run than people expected. I thought as a pass rusher, he was kind of a disappointment. Uh, I understand it's his rookie year. Maybe he'll make that year one to year two jump that so many guys make possible. But, again, it, you're you're expecting guys like that to get to eight to ten sacks and at least one pressure per game. And I don't see him as being that productive. Again, as you said in the tease, potential uh, gets you fired. Potential is not production. No. And uh, when you look at the the maybe potential pressure from the inside, look, you're talking about in Josie Jewell, a player who has six career sacks, and Alex Singleton, a player that has two career sacks. So you're not bringing it up from the middle. Uh, Benito is going to have to step up. Gregory is going to have to stay healthy, and there's no indication at this stage uh, in his career that he will. Browning last year had five sacks after his move to the outside. But, I mean, you're talking about uh, Frank Clark being far and away the best returning sack p- uh, player on the Denver Broncos, and he had five last year. He's only had nine and a half over the last two years. For the Broncos, I am wondering where the pressure comes from. From right now, it's betting all on potential. Now, do I like uh, Jonathan Cooper's potential? I do. You think you're going to need him? Uh, yeah, either in, in place of Nick Benito or certainly for the games that Randy Gregory gets hurt for, which is going to happen. But even Jonathan Cooper, who's played 30 games in the last two years, has four and a half total sacks. And again, I I like Jonathan Cooper as a prospect. You like people as prospects based on potential, not production. Right. If you say you like someone and you're characterizing them as something other than a prospect, you're basing that admiration on production. But as long as you're talking about prospects, the Broncos don't exactly, certainly over the last seven years, have a history of developing these guys into productive players. They don't. They simply don't. Jewel is who he is. And his claim to fame here is he's one of four players still around from the 16, 17, and 18 drafts along with Sutton, Bowles, and Simmons. That's his claim to fame. He's a nice player on first and second downs. I guess his coverage talents are improved over what they were initially, but I don't see him out there a lot in third down situations, and I don't see him successfully covering tight ends on third down or backs uh, coming out of the back. That's, that's why they picked Drew I Sanders. I don't see that. Drew that's Sanders, what, by the way. Sanders is a better football player than either Singleton or Jewel. Hurt during the training. The problem uh, was, well. well, yes, that and the fact that, again, 
we're talking about a prospect who has potential, a very good college linebacker who can play all over the place. I like that, by the way. I don't know. Maybe he'll end up being an edge rusher. Maybe that's where his talents will place him in order to take best advantage of those talents. But the idea that this team is brimming with talent on the defensive side of the ball, especially in the front seven, is ridiculous. They've got two players who are difference makers, Simmons and Sertan. And even Sertan, the second half of last year, largely because teams weren't throwing at him as much. I get that. But they weren't throwing him at all the first half of the year, and he was, I thought much better in the first half of the year. But the second half of the year, I mean, yes, he didn't have a lot of picks, but teams weren't week in, week out exploiting him either, and Simmons was terrific in the second half. Uh, he was good in the first half. He was tremendous in the second half of the year. He is a difference maker. That's two guys out of 11, or maybe two guys out of 15 or 16, who are regularly a part of the defensive rotation and play 20 or more snaps per per week. Were the Broncos to line up for a game this week, unfortunately they don't, the starting 11 last year, grand total, grand total, 18 and a half sacks. That's an average of 1.7 per guy in 2022. We'll talk more about, we'll get back to something a little more positive too. We'll talk about the Nuggets as well when we get back on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Well, no basketball, no hockey. You know what that means. Baseball season. Big weekend of baseball, by the way. Bring that big bet energy this summer with Superbook Sports. Superbook Sports is the most trusted name in sports betting. And right now, use promo code MILEHIGH to score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. That means win or lose, they'll match your first bet up to $250 with promo code MILEHIGH. Hi, that's easy enough to remember, right? So just visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions to enter and download the Superbook Colorado app in the app stores. Enter that promo code mile high. You'll get 250 bucks courtesy of Superbook Sports. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. We, Rockies I, began the week in Boston. Yeah. They did well to take two out of three. They, they won two extra inning games and uh, had a lead in the seventh inning in the third game I guess. and blew the game. And... Uh, you know, Boston is in a very, very tough division, but Boston is a losing team in last place. Now they play next to Tampa, the best team in baseball, lost to them 8-3 last night in Atlanta, and play them for the rest of the weekend. Good luck to a Rockies team that has now lost 18 of its last 29 games. That is, um, that's bad. That's real bad. I mean, it... it they are not the worst team in the, the National League. Of no, they're not. In fact, there are two teams except, worse. Except here's the difference. Well, one of those teams is in a complete teardown. That's the Washington Nationals, and the, the, yes. the Rockies are only percentage points difference. That's right. Uh, the other one, and I'm just going to peek around real quick. Is Andrew Detmer still here? And Andrew left, right? Andrew left. Okay. Uh, that's important to note because the worst season in the league is not the Oakland A's who have tanked their way to Las Vegas is by the way, that stadium got approved. The worst season in the league is not because of the, the, the even the winning percentages, Kansas city Royals are even worse at two sixty five, The team that I grew up 
uh, paying attention to because there was no Colorado Rockies. Uh, that's fun. Let me tell you how much fun it is. Now the Royals is your AL team and the Rockies is your NL team. That's a, that's a blast. Uh, it is the St. Louis Cardinals who were considered to be Isn't that amazing? supposed to be right. I mean, in the mix for the, the oh, National League I, to a certain I, extent. I think one of the one favorites anyway. seven and 42. It's astonishing. A 391 winning percentage. The worst team in the National League. The third worst team in all of baseball. Yes. And, and when you're looking at teams that are not either in a teardown or outright tanking, like, no, they're trying to like win. Like the, the A's or the Royals or the Nationals or, quite frankly, the, the Rockies. Uh, the Rockies and the Cardinals are the two worst teams that ostensibly are trying. But even the Rockies didn't have the expectations. The Cardinals Nolan are a disaster. Arnato has been in the playoffs. What a wreck. In St. Louis, okay? But he is now playing for a team That's worse. that isn't as good as the Rockies. The Rockies. Oh, my and goodness. there's a little bit of karma in that. Now, I understand. I understand. And I was not I one believe, of the people that got bothered that Arnott wanted out. I would have wanted out, too. But but, but I get it. I, I would say 90% of his wanting out was fairly blamed on the Rockies. Yeah. However, there was maybe 10% of it all that you, you had to acknowledge one, he signed the contract two He said he was being disrespected after signing the contract. And I know the disrespect line had nothing to do with the contract and everything to do with the team they put around him. But in fairness, that team was, was not a low budget Low rent team. No. After all, he was one of the highest paid players in baseball. In baseball, right. All of baseball. They were not, they were right in the middle in Major League Baseball in terms of payroll at that point. So when he said, well, they're disrespecting me because they promised to put a good team around me and they didn't, well, they had had two straight years in the playoffs yeah. and they had the, when he left here, this team was being managed by clearly, in my view, the best manager the Rockies have ever had. And that continues to be even at 29 and 42 in 2023 on pace to lose 96, 97 games. Yeah. It's still Bud Black. And, and my way it's funny because you're right. It wasn't even really the money. And you can say what you will about ownership for the Rockies. It wasn't the money and it wasn't the manager. It's, it's, the, you, it's the organization's inability to correctly identify talent is what it is. Uh, the, the Rockies actually spend rather commensurate or yep. above That's right. their mar- their uh, metro area. Oh, I, uh, I would criticize them regularly. today more often for spending too much than too little. I mean, the Chris Bryant contract is Foolish. a joke. Foolish. And uh, who was the center fielder they brought in? Randall or, Richard? Uh, and no, 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 no. And, and paid a ton of money to a few years back. And he really wasn't a center fielder. He had played other positions. He was an infielder. At one oh, he Desmond. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that was a terrible. I mean, deal. that was an awful deal. They asked I mean, him, I, I can, I can. And they asked right him to away, play. They asked him to play first base where he had never played contracts. first base. Terrible. Right. Arenado, by the way, is on pace uh, as maybe uh, not his best year, but maybe not as much to blame. Uh, he's on pace. He's hitting two forty nine right now, but uh, on pace to hit. Uh, 35 home runs, 108 RBI. It's not a disaster. But it's uh, a bad team. But it's, 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 a, bad, it's, a, bad it's team. a bad team. And, and you say, well, it, it's not even midseason. And I say, if uh, you don't when you're know. you're that buried. If you don't know about a team after 69 games, you're not paying attention to that team. Yeah. 
and pardon me, Arenado is hitting at 283, so the batting average isn't all that far off. But uh, he's not having a, a horrendous season. Uh, the one guy that's actually having a, a really good year that's getting the, the short end of the stick is the uh, the old metronome Paul Goldschmidt, who's actually once again hitting 288, got a 11 oh, over. Offense is not RBIs. the problem. Uh, it, it is not. The offense is actually pitching. Terrible. Pitching is uh, pitching makes the Rockies look yeah serviceable. Their pitching, that's considering the ballpark they play in, is possibly, possibly as bad as the Rockies pitch. They have one starter who's at an ERA under four, and that's Jordan Montgomery who's at a 3.91 in Bush. Yikes. So, uh, hey, park. hey, Rockies fans, I guess it park. could be worse. You, you could have been expecting to not be hot garbage and then be garbage, so there's there's that. But the uh, here's the deal, though. Yeah. St. Louis is in last place. <laughs> yeah. But they're only eight games out of first. <laughs> the Rockies uh, are 13 games yeah, out of first. Yeah, they're, that, yeah that ain't, that's not going to happen. Yeah, oh well, what are you going to do? The Denver Nuggets, of course, coming off their uh, understandable uh, high, given the, the victory in the NBA, breaking through finally after 56 seasons. So tired of hearing 47 seasons. Sandy, every, every single time I hear 47, I think of you yeah, you you illustrating that the year the week before, pointing out that the NBA and, has and still been at war by, with the ABA. By the way, yeah, it, it's and, still and by there. the way, I have gone it's back and season. looked at the 1976 NBA Finals compared to the 1976 ABA Finals, and the Boston Celtics and the Phoenix Suns were not as good as either the New York Nets, the ABA champs, or the runners-up, the Denver Nuggets. I've looked at the boxes. I've looked at parts of games from each series. The Boston-Phoenix game that was famous was Game 5 in a 2-2 series because it went triple overtime and a fan almost killed Richie Powers during the course of uh, the end of regulation and one of the overtime periods. Uh, almost, I mean, they had people come out on the court and one slugged Richie Powers, one of the officials. And it was a great basketball game, but it was a great basketball game played by two mediocre teams. <laughs> that turned out well. The Nuggets and Nets had great games because they were really, really, really good teams, star-laden teams. The Celtics had John Havlicek at the very end of his career, Dave Counts at the very end of his career, JoJo White at the end of his career. Neither team had a bench. Aging, almost uh, somnambulant Pat Riley got minutes in that series off the Phoenix bench. Phoenix's best player was Paul Westfall, who had been a reserve with the Celtics before he went to Phoenix. I'm just saying. They were, at best, mediocre teams. Your Denver Nuggets are at the top of the heap. Happy Friday. Enjoy the weekend. It is a Father's Day weekend. If you're lucky enough to have your father, uh, give him a call. Uh, make make sure you reach out and, and, and make sure you go ahead and and uh, show the show the man that raised you a little bit of love. I'm looking forward to playing golf with my own father on Father's Good Day as well. You. And where he will probably smash me as always. Uh, uh, I mean, okay, it's his day, I guess. Although I'm actually a father. How come I can't win? I guess that's consequences of my own actions. What are you going to do? Happy Father's Day weekend. Be safe. Have a wonderful time. Enjoy your title, Nuggets fans, Denver. It is a terrific opportunity to celebrate, but do so safely. We want to have you all back on Monday. For Danny Bailey in the booth, for Sandy Clough, 
I'm Sean Drotar. Thanks for listening, whether it was on air, whether it was on the website, MyLifeSports.com, or on the My Life Sports app. Either way, we're happy to have you. Looking forward to having you back on Monday. I'm Sean Drotar. Keep it right here on My Life Sports. Saturday and every Saturday for the